Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fiboli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. We would like to welcome you back after our holiday break, and we'd also like to wish everyone a very happy new year. We already have a number of interesting episodes lined up for 2021, and today is the first of three episodes in which we will be speaking to CIA members who have experience working internationally. And joining me today is Denis Garand. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thanks, Chris. It's uh, great to be here. It's the start of the new year. Yeah, fantastic. So let, let's start off. I didn't introduce you on purpose. I just wanted to let you uh, give some background about your careers. So maybe just tell everybody about the sort of work you've done uh, throughout your time as an actuary and particularly the experiences you have had working outside of Canada. Sure. Yeah, I started off uh, maybe in a classical sense, working for an insurance company in Canada for 20 years. And then I became an independent consultant. I started working primarily on group insurance. But I also, when I worked for the insurer, it was Cooperators Life. They had me help a few developing cooperatives around the world. So internationally, I, I got a contract uh, with the World Bank uh, doing some work in India with an organization called Vimo Sewa. And that started me off on an international side, which was uh, very interesting. So for the last 20 years, I've been doing both uh, one foot in Canada and one foot internationally. And uh, I've been doing all sorts of things. So some of the things I've been done, like for, for example, more recently, I'm participating in a study done by Women's World Banking on six countries on the impact of COVID on their membership. And that's um, microfinance organizations that have provided loans to members and we're tracking the mortality uh, on some of them that where we have some mortality data and also hospitalization cases. So that's going to be a study that we're going to participate in for a few years. And other things I've been involved in is in uh, health insurance in many different countries. I got involved originally with that program with the World Bank in India with Vimo Sewa. It involved uh, life insurance, health insurance, and some property insurance at very small amounts. So from that, I, I was able to learn a lot. I The project I had with India was over uh, five years, so I was able to spend some time with them and understand the situation. At first, frankly, I didn't really know anything, but I, I got to understand the context. So, And in health insurance, I went on to, I've worked in probably now about uh, 40 countries. I've worked with regulators. I've worked on different microinsurance projects. I'm on the board of directors of an organization that's doing index insurance in Latin America. So yeah, I've had quite a variety of different types of projects in microinsurance internationally. Yeah, you mentioned microinsurance a couple of times. Uh, I'm just kind of curious. That's a concept I've heard of, but I'm not really familiar with. Uh, Can you maybe tell us a bit about what microinsurance is and and how it operates? Sure. Well, the reality is uh, when you look at insurance in Canada, most of us think everybody has insurance and things are going well. But the reality is for most of the world, they actually have no access to insurance. So the insurance companies globally in other markets are chasing people at the higher income. So microinsurance makes a particular effort to to try to get to people of lower income and near poverty levels. And it has a huge impact. Uh, So for example, when a major natural disaster happens in a third world country, most people have no coverage. And one example I'd like to use is there was a typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines several years ago. It impacted 11 million people, which was about 2 million families. There was a you know, a lot of damage in that area in the Philippines. 
And it's the first time in an international disaster that people at low income, there's at least 150,000 people that had coverage through microinsurance. So microinsurance provides coverage. If you contrast that with like Fort McMurray, when they had the big fire, most people had insurance on their houses, so that was something they were compensated. But in most countries, when a, a disaster happens, people don't have insurance. If you had your house and you lost it and you had no insurance, you have to restart absolutely everything. So you really fall down. That's what microinsurance is trying to fill, is this gap for people that don't have coverage. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and I also understand that some countries, the insurance market just is really not that well developed. I mean, once I was speaking to an actuary from... Uh, you know, a country that was part of the former Soviet Union. And, and she was telling me that they basically had, at that point in time, no life insurance market because I guess there was just, a, yeah. because of their experience in the Soviet Union, there was just a, a strong distrust of uh, that insurance actually worked. Do you find the same thing in some countries that the market is really, really underdeveloped? Oh, yes. Yes. Well, I mean, the reality in most of these countries is people don't trust insurers at all. So when you're doing microinsurance, you have to be really careful with the wording Sometimes you don't use the word insurance because they just it's bad name. <laughs> so you really have to work at uh, communicating to the organization. You have to reach people through organizations they trust. So it has to be an NGO or an MFI that's been servicing them that they see that they're actually getting service. But otherwise, yeah, there's yeah. I've worked in a few of the former Soviet bloc countries, and it's uh, definitely. A very different attitude on a lot of aspects you can see in the behavior and on claims and hospitalization like for in one country i worked in like 10 percent of the population goes to the hospital every year so which in canada is something like two percent so people just go to the hospital for everything mm -hmm, uh, yeah that's their service point so in the country i worked in they were working to change that and they actually trying to get people to go to clinics uh, and things like that. And uh, they were actually successful over a few years of changing that behavior and, and making the system more effective and uh, better health outcomes for people. So yeah, I, that's a lot of what we're doing in microinsurance is actually trying to make better outcomes for people in situations. Uh, so I, I think actually the normal insurance market, and I, I have learned tremendously from this area in the last 20 years. Uh, I, I thought after 20 years in the industry, I knew a lot, but I really learned a lot again in the next 20 years working internationally and, and working in this thing. With microinsurance, you're really going back to the basics. Companies like Manulife in Canada was started off as an industrial life insurance company. And that's essentially what microinsurance is. It's a restarting insurance from the basis and getting rid of a lot of rules that were there that built up over time and making things a lot simpler. So. And I think the insurance industry can learn. I, I see the failings of the current insurance industry is, is poor communications to clients. Uh, I look at my house insurance policy and it's very hard to, for me to understand that. You have to communicate in a simple language that people can understand. You have to have products that are really simple and easy to understand. And you have to become super efficient in your organization. So there's a, a lot to learn in the in microinsurance. And I think Canada is sort of missing the boat by not paying attention to what's going on internationally in some of these areas because these learnings are going to come back at some point in time to the North American markets and have a, a huge impact. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm just curious how do you how do you find all these international assignments, uh, or, or do they find you? I mean, what's the process? You said you worked oh, on uh, well, forty I, countries. I sort of, yeah, that, I was sort of lucky being in there right at the beginning. So when I had that first project with the World Bank, uh, people at the ILO came and visited that project, and they said, "Oh, you're an expert in this." Well. But the reality is I just knew a little bit. I wasn't really an expert. Uh, actually, the first time I didn't know anything. <laughs> but they asked me to go look at projects in other countries. And then other people asked me, uh, like the German government uh, through GIZ, or asked me to look at different projects. And then I became known in the area. So then really the projects come to me. I don't really go out and, and get projects anymore. So it, it's, it's kept, me, uh, kept me busy. Uh, between that and the Canadian side, and also kept me young and learning a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I did want to talk about that a little bit more because I just, I just, if you maybe go into a little more specifics about some of the, you know, the things you have learned through all this work and uh, and how it's a, how it's impacted your career development. Just if there's any specific examples you could talk about. Sure. You know, just normal rules we have in insurance, like when I started in microinsurance and go into different countries and talk to insurance companies, they thought I was absolutely crazy saying, let's offer, you know, some life insurance or some health insurance to a low income person, you know, for a modest amount of benefit, which is extremely helpful for them. They're saying they're crazy. Like we need all sorts of rules around this. Like, you know, we need to, you know, the exclusions for paragliding and things like that. And they're saying, well, these people don't paraglide. Like, like let, let's get rid of all these routes. So, in microinsurance um, projects I've worked on, we've got rid of. Uh, we have no exclusions for life and health insurance. Uh, and as I said, the mount, the amounts are modest. Like maybe a thousand dollars is a life benefit, or five thousand dollars at most would be the life benefit. And for the health insurance, it's uh, maybe about uh, you know hospitalization days. Uh, you know, up to a maximum of of about. $2,000 or something that it covers, but we got rid of all the rules. And the key to this success is a distribution system, which is always the key to insurance, is how do you reach your client base? So if you have a good distribution system, you can reach your clients very effectively and they can work very well. By getting a very efficient distribution system, you could also reduce the costs tremendously. So, so microinsurance policies that might sell for $5 a year or $10 a year, you know, the expense ratios on some of those are in the range of, you know, 10%. Uh, some of them are higher at 30%, but that uh, requires a whole change in attitude for the insurer, how to administer that. You can't administer it the same way. So, of course, you have to re- rely on information technology and you have to rely on an, uh, a distribution system that reaches clients uh, quickly. So there's one company I know, for example, um, it was AIG uh, Uganda, when they started microinsurance, they learned so much from it in terms of simplifying their processes and becoming more efficient at what they do that it, it benefited the, the rest of their operation in their regular insurance market. That, that's really key is learning these, how to change your operations, how to reach people, how to communicate very clearly to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. What's what's the most obscure or far-flung country you've you've been able to deal with? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, yeah, I've had calls for, uh, sometimes people I have to look, I say, do you want to go to this country? And I say, uh, yeah, I'll have to look it up on the map first where, where I've gone. But, you know, I've been to Kazakhstan, I've been in Pakistan, in the northern areas where 
there's um, some activity by the Taliban into Congo, where it's that one is probably one of the most dangerous countries I've been to, more dangerous than Pakistan even. So yeah, I've been to some some pretty obscure places. I don't go to tourist spots. Mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. I guess my final question would be, if somebody else would like to get involved internationally, uh, where do they start? What are some things they can do to, to cultivate these opportunities and get some experience working in other countries on different projects? Well, the, the first thing in any actor getting involved in this is that they need to um, really start understanding the, the situation in another country, in another culture. I don't think I know that perfectly, but I think it's there's ways of understanding that and also ho- hooking up with local people that can help translate things for you. I started actually from a young age being involved in the Catholic Church here in Canada, involved in development issues. That's what interested me. So just having an aptitude to understanding development issues is, I think, is, is really important. The most important thing is understanding what an actuary is and the whole operation in the Canadian context. So if you can understand that situation very well, how everything works from the beginning to the end, the whole process, that will help you. And then once you understand that, then you have to understand how to throw all of that away and understand what the basic principles are of insurance. Then I think you're ready to look at assignments. Because I, I do see some actuaries from North America, Australia, that come into this field thinking everything is the same and actually not doing a good job because they, they really don't understand what it is. So that's why I want to emphasize that understanding background is so important in this area. But there are organizations that, for example, like the ILO, they have occasionally put out fellowships. So it's an opportunity for people from different countries to go work in the country as um, essentially an intern in helping a country develop. And those are great learning opportunities. There has been, I mean, there are other, other organizations like in Canada, like the Canadian Cooperative Association that has looked at doing some projects in different countries. So there's opportunities there. There's organizations like Soco de Vie in Quebec or Desjardins International in Quebec that also potentially have uh, opportunities. But it's really keeping an eye open for where you can get in, where you can vo- essentially volunteer probably is where you have to start just to get involved. So sorry, that's a long answer to a short question. No, that was great. That was very helpful. Uh, listen, it's been a great conversation today. So uh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. And it was a pleasure to be here. We now have over six dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you to subscribe. You can do so through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use to access podcast content. And if you like today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating or a comment. And we would like to hear from you, so please send any suggestions or episode ideas to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fiboli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.